Welcome back to the Balanced Bully Podcast for ambitious women in business and a few brave men. I'm your host, Nikita Rindigpen, excited as always to be with you. Well, here we are, midway through the year, filling all the feels from all the things that 2021 left us with right in our lap and trying to expunge all of the drama without losing the lessons. So today, I have a very brave man here for you today that is excited to talk about not only his journey, but a lot of the lessons that he's learned, and he's now helping other people avoid some of those same mistakes. We are welcoming Matthew Frey, a relationship coach and writer who leans on the lessons of his failed marriage and his divorce to help others avoid making these same mistakes. He also happens to be a fantastic blogger. I did forget your blog, your blog Matthew. Uh, that's called Must Be This Tall to Ride. And he has dedicated his following to reach millions of people to make sure that they get all of the tools that they need so they can move through their relationship with ease, hopefully not make those mistakes. But if they do, he is right there to support and encourage, whether that is by offering divorce reconciliation and comfort to the process that you're going through that a lot of us have shame about when we're navigating or hopefully keeping you from making that mistake and getting divorced before you've learned all your lessons that won't carry over into your next relationship. Matthew, welcome to the Balanced Bully Podcast. How are you today? Me too. So, you know, I have to ask, of course, I've been diving in, reading your book, going through all of the layers of you and your incredible, powerful, vulnerable story that you share in detail in your book. But I'm curious, what made you decide to air it all out? years ago when this opportunity to write the book presented itself and we started, you know, putting it together. It's, it's a much longer process than my brain sort of imagined it to be. I wrote it in nine months, um, wow. which seemed really fast to me, but mm-hmm. I also had the hack of like some of these ideas had been flushed out on the blog already, so all mm-hmm. I had to do was expand and massage to make it better, um, yeah. you know, instead of a thousand word post, I, you know, took pieces and parts to make it a chapter section or whatever. But um, nine years ago, my marriage ended, mm-hmm. and almost to the day. Um, at wow. the time of this recording, I don't know how much mm-hmm. you're transparent about, like, when we're recording, but we're really close to April 1st, and April 1st, yeah. 2013, is mm-hmm. the day that my wife moved out. Um, mm-hmm. And that's nine years ago, and that's the amount of time we were married, which is a fascinating awesome. context of, like life balance, thinking about the fact Absolutely. that time has transpired post-marriage as we were. We were together for 12 years, and I don't really distinguish between, like, married and, and, and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. As soon as I committed, like, to this woman, so it's a, it's a 12-year yeah. relationship. But um, it was so hard when I wasn't married anymore, and when our four-year-old son, 50% of the time, he wasn't around anymore. It was just a incredible shock, like, emotionally. Really bad, and I'm yeah. not afraid to talk about just how dark and just how ugly and just how painful it was. And I think that's important context because people, like you, were so kind to talk about it as being brave, but the truth is it wasn't that scary. Mm. Meaning the writing, writing. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared of like feeling like this every day. Yeah, writing about it 
was like the least of my problems. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Like that was it was so interesting. I I sort of like usurped the pain, but something felt worse. And I didn't mm-hmm. think like if I, anybody judged it or anybody thought, what is this guy like writing about this for? It would be a problem. And so some people, I think particularly people in my personal life, the book's only been out for about a week. People in my personal life would be like, you, right? You said that. Right. You put it in a book? And I'm like, I, 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 I told people that five years ago. It's, it's, it's not a big deal to me. There's just, I think, at scale, this is likely to be read not more than my most popular blog post, but more than probably all but one of my blog posts. This should be read more than, yeah. more than none. No, this is incredible, and I love how humble you are by not um, claiming the braveness of sharing, because you know, once you write it, as a blogger, you get this blogger-writer, I always want to add them together, because some bloggers don't feel like they're real writers, and some writers don't feel like they're bloggers, like, that's a whole different conversation, right? (laughs) But as a blogger and a writer who has been talking about pretty powerful conversations for a long time, that that part wasn't new to you. You know, once you write something, it's there forever, and there, there's the chance that your son's friends' parents are having the conversations, right? Like all of that context. And I think that that is. I know you're you're being beautifully humble, but I think that's very brave of you. you. That's an interesting point, and like it's possible I just kind of have sort of like blindness to it, or maybe I don't care. Maybe yeah. I don't care. Maybe I'm tired of people not having the difficult conversations. Come not on. Beca- not, not in judgment. Uh-huh. But, but our fear or hesitancy to talk about the true, vulnerable, authentic, real stuff that we actually feel in our relationships is a big part of why I think that like Buster Rhodes in relationships, we, we struggle to relate a lot of it. I think men particularly because we hide true things that we think we feel both from our relationship partners and then we also don't get adequate support from loved ones and people who care about us because we hide from them that we're suffering in certain ways. Hell, even me, like, I don't, I don't advertise the depths of my neuroses to like my father (laughs) and my friends. I shield them from that. But when I'm just sitting around by myself panicking that like people are going to read this and hate it, um, I'm not doing that now because I'm getting really good feedback, and it feels. I good. know that's right. It feels so good, <laughs> so good to like have people say, "Okay, we really like this." I'm starting to like, but I spent a solid two months leading up to book launch, losing sleep over the idea yeah. that this was going to be a colossal failure, and that yeah. every friend and relative who picked it up would be like, "Man, this," you know, just oh, mm-hmm. so. But it, yeah. it appears not to be on track for that. Who knows? It does, it does, there's an important yeah, go ahead. Story. No, 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 go ahead. There's a beautiful, like, like self-love point there to make, though. Me worrying about other people, how other people think and feel mm-hmm. about me, and then leveraging that to, like, place a value on myself, how much I'm worth, is also a thing that adversely affects relationships. And I would strongly encourage people not to do what I actually do, but to truly practice this notion of no one gets to decide what you're worth except you. I get into that near the, the, the tail end of the book. In the mm-hmm. first chapter, I've got this thing where we get into like diamonds, the value of diamonds versus the value of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been studied as the like diamond water paradox, where diamonds are more valuable in this world than water in, in a monetary way. Right. Water matters so much more than diamonds, like in real actual life. And it presents this way to think about what something's worth 
and I wish people would apply that to themselves. What uh-huh. people who don't have an enormous amount of respect for you or probably for themselves might think or feel or say about you shouldn't matter. And I think most significantly, most of the time, we're not worried about each other. Everybody's kind of worried about themselves, and then we just project our insecurities on them, potentially hurting us. You shouldn't do it, because it doesn't help. Mm. And the pun is all here when I say, Matthew came to drop gems today. (laughs) After talking about the diamond and water paradox, that that's a true gem that definitely needs to be heard and felt from everyone that's listening to this right now, that there's so much at the time of this recording, and we are super probably overly transparent here at the BBP. So absolutely. At the time that we're recording this, um, there's so much hubbub that hopefully when this drops on May 4th, that hubbub is over with the Oscars and all the things and everyone and their mother has turned into a philosopher slash a therapist slash a coach slash a judge and jury over all of the things. And a lot of what I'm seeing and reading purposefully not publicly commenting on it outside of my inner circle of associates and colleagues are people projecting their own issues and challenges. Would it yeah. be inappropriate for me to ask you a question right now? Because I'm not no. my seven. I'm always trying to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was just asked about the Will Smith situation um, one or two conversations ago. Mm-hmm. Here's what I said. I adore Will Smith. Mm-hmm. This is hilarious, but I've had, like, a long-standing respect for, like, Will Smith from, like, a character standpoint. I just okay. really have always admired him. So I was mm-hmm. really shocked and, like, so disheartened by the thing, not not to suggest that I judge the man, but mm-hmm. people are human, and they will yeah. be human. That's the one yeah. thing we can all be sure of. And the, mm-hmm. thing that I, the way I answered it was, I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm just not going to do that. But what I'll say is I wouldn't have told the joke Chris told. Not because I think Chris is bad or wrong for doing so. I just would have made the choice not to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have gone up on stage and taken a swing at him like mm-hmm. Will did. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge Will for doing what he did because I think those two men probably measure that moment a hell of a lot differently than a lot of us. Yeah. I think they probably think it's less of a big deal than everybody's been talking about it for 48 hours. Um, people are people, and they're going to be people again. But I wanted to ask you about it. I'm sorry, I, I lost the plot for a moment. What I wanted to ask you about is I learned from this experience, and I'm kind of glad I'm learning it, that a lot of black people feel like they haven't been stood up for. And I think that's a really powerful insight that I was blind to. My work, everything I do in my personal life and in my relationship work is about eliminating blind spots. And I have blind spots that, culturally speaking, a critical mass of African-American women feel yeah. as if they've been abandoned and not stood up for when harm is caused to them in the various ways harm is caused to them. Yeah. And I wanted to, to see if you could educate me briefly on what you understand about that dynamic. I, I don't want to suggest you yourself feel that way, but you might have insight into it. And I'd love to know because I think it applies to our romantic relationships too. These it does. About chilling it, with people. Yeah, it does. And Um, I appreciate the question and also the acknowledgement that I can only speak for myself, not all of the black women in in the world, right? Um, But as a black woman, my experience privately has not been the experience that has been publicly declared by a lot of other black and brown women. I happen to have an amazing husband who's been in my life since I was 17, and we've been friends since 13. So I've always had 
a, a black man there to protect me, as well as I'm the oldest of five. Two of them happen to be brothers. So I've never not had someone that I could call on, lean on, dial up, you know, put the bat signal out for <laughs> if I needed to. I have publicly, though, been in situations where my husband wasn't in, you know, present for me. He wasn't physically with me. He might have been eight hours away because I'm in another state or another place. And I have had situations where I felt really uncomfortable because of the treatment that was occurring for me as a black woman, knowing that that was the reason that it was happening because I was a black woman and people have their own issues and projections of being, you know, I'm very assertive and firm and loving and kind and I smile a lot. So people can misunderstand that as a weakness, right? The same way that when I put up a boundary and become more assertive, it could be perceived as aggressive when it's really an acknowledgement of this is my space and it's sacred. There's also the reality that I know probably comes up in your work. It comes up in my work all the time, working with power couples and married women entrepreneurs of all different backgrounds. There's a huge challenge for women in general when we have trauma underneath everything that's going on. Maybe we've healed from it. We've worked through it. It's there. But when a default is triggered and you lean back in it, like my default as someone who was sexually abused and physically abused and all of the things growing up, my default is to fight. So with all the healing and with all the work, I can absolutely stand and handle most things. But if you poke the bear hard enough, you trigger the default, which then pulls out the other part of Nikita that no one, including Nikita, wants to see, which is what I felt I saw with the Will Smith, Chris Rock situation. All of us have stuff that we're dealing with, you know, traumas that we've worked through. We think we've gotten to a certain place until someone pings that little pebble right at the glass in the right way that that tiny little pebble actually shattered the whole glass, even though the glass is stronger than the, than the pebble. I've had those situations happen with me, and there were other men not necessarily always black men, but brown men of other backgrounds that are usually as vulnerable in different ways as a black woman would be that stood and did not stand up for me. Fortunately for me, nothing ever went to a place of violence or, or something that caused more trauma on top of what I had already grown up with in those particular instances. But it is real. And I do relate and I can understand on the public end when I'm away from my protection from my people, my husband, my brothers, my cousins, when I'm not there, I absolutely am aware that just because there are other black and brown men or men in general that are in the room does not mean that they're going to protect me. And in fact, they're more likely to not protect me if they feel like they're in front of their peers. Because there's another condition here. For Black men especially, as soon as they assert anything, they are seen as aggressive. As soon as they are. I'm more worried when I take a long drive with my husband that if we get pulled over, I'm not nearly as worried for me as I could be as I am for the fact that my Black husband is in the car with me. And if he's so much tries to communicate something assertively that he could be taken out of context and it could be seen as aggressive. So those are all those things too that I think is a part of that conversation with how women feel, especially black and brown women. Uh, are you are you familiar with Charles M. Bois' um, newest book, The Devil You Know? No, I'm I am not. Uh, and it's, it's amazing, it's amazing. I don't know how you know Charles' work. He's um, been a columnist for the New York Times for like 25 years. Mm -hmm. he's, he's my favorite 
<laughs> I, I took really seriously this idea, and I, I, I think this is so relevant to the relationship conversation we're having because it doesn't yeah. just apply to romantic relationships. It doesn't. It applies to parent-child relationships. It applies to every person whose lived experience is diverse from yours. Mm-hmm. When we don't respect and recognize and consider and validate those different lived experiences, and I had this blind spot for the first 33 years of my life, and it hurt. It hurt people, and it hurt me. I yeah. myself by doing it, and I, I didn't understand how harmful it was. And as a straight white man, mm-hmm. I have had so much like privilege and blind spots in my life about because I, I learned very quickly that this has to apply to everybody. And if I want to be as decent as I want to be, that if I want to have self-respect and be able to sleep at night, this can't be reserved exclusively for the person that I want to like and I want to like love or my right. son. I have to extend these same ideas to everybody. And so in that work, I'm really trying to, like, diversify my awareness. And so I'm reading Charles's book and a number of other books on anti-racism right now. Not because I think I need to, like, I mean, I do need to be better. Like, forgive me. I mean, I don't think I have, like, a really, like, difficult time. I don't think I do harmful things. I want to eliminate the blind spot. I want to be aware of what other people are experiencing. If I'm going to be an effective neighbor, friend, citizen, you know, brother, sister, in a generic way to people, if I'm going to be an ally to human beings, I have to know yeah. at least somewhat what their lived experiences are. And ironically, it's the same work we have to do in relationships. A thousand percent. Yeah. I call this relationship intimacy 360 degrees, right? Because it's not just with your paramour. I call them your forever lover, right? It's all, all the ways. I love the work that you're doing and how vulnerable and honest you have been in not only what you've been through to just share your story so people can relate, but also taking stock in how you can take those lessons and help other people. And with all of the help that you are giving out constantly, not including just the power of 300 plus pages. I wasn't playing. I read that book um, for what you wrote about, but also for yourself, how are you making sure you take care of yourself and giving yourself permission to pause so you can continue to create a more beautiful and blissful version of your life today? I honestly don't know what I do without those ideas. Without mm-hmm. talking about my survival experience mm-hmm. and terms of self-care. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I have these conversations all the time. I'm sitting on the other side of like one of these end camps or whatever platform I'm using to talk. Sometimes it feels so exhausting after a long day of this. You have three or four 60 to 90 minute conversations where you're really going deep with somebody on the most awful things that they're encountering in their personal life. Or, um, and frankly, I'm, I'm remembering and reliving all these moments in which I wasn't my best self. Yeah. And I have this shame, you know, shame <laughs> like just floods every time I remember, like, this is how I responded to this person who I promised to love forever. She might have yeah. been fine. She might have been sad. And she experienced neglect and abandonment from me <laughs> in, like, a vulnerable moment. And I didn't mm-hmm. care because I thought she was wrong to feel that way. And mm-hmm. uh, the work is to care for somebody even when our brains calculate they shouldn't think what they think or our bodies, if you will, calculate that they shouldn't feel what they feel. Can we still restore safety and trust in that moment? Can we still repair and heal whatever has been, like, fractured or, you know, Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do that work, and when people learn how to do it, it heals. So I don't know how effective I am at pausing. Okay. And, and, and 
in stillness when I need to be. Uh-huh. But um, I, I tend to distract more than sit in like silence, either literally uh-huh. or metaphorically. Yeah. Um, I tend to distract myself during like the other times, but I still there's so there's been so much healing in in the work. Uh-huh. So there are quiet moments though, like you and I are talking now, where I, I heard everything that you said. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I it's the most valuable thing I think that you and I can both share. Wow. Thank you, Matthew. That that matters. And that's fair. There are really a lot of people that absolutely have trouble with giving themselves permission to pause because they're used to being on skates and doing doing all the things. Uh so be listen, you the fact that you know that, the awareness and recognition of it is already the first step. That's powerful. So how can people connect with you and get this wonderful book? Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm really glad that you read it. Thank you. I love that you like it. Um, my home on the internet is MatthewFray.com. And that's Matthew with two T's. And that's Frey, F-R-A-Y. Uh, MatthewFray.com. And then you can connect with me on social media there. I'm going to be internet stalking you, not in a gross <laughs> way, but in a like following you on your various places that I, um, as soon as I'm able. No, I love it. I call it professional stalking. I'm a professional stalker, too. I got you. <laughs> I loved your story about your husband. I love that it's very, insight, like, it's very uplifting and inspiring to hear that. You guys have known each other since 13, and that he's shown up for you, like, day after day, all this time. Um, it's just beautiful. And you are just yeah. Thank I'm you. I'm really happy we're connected, and I hope that that happens. We just have to be intentional and stay in touch. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you're amazing. All right. I want to talk to Matthew about so many things, hedonic adaptation, all the things. There's so many amazing things in his book, but we don't have time today for this particular conversation. So everyone listening, please do me the honor and the favor to go and purchase the book. If you don't need it for yourself, because you're like, oh, I don't need it. I'm not in a relationship. I'm single and savvy and I'm loving it. It's all good. There are lessons in it to keep you from making his mistakes. You can also do yourself a extra solid that girlfriend that cousin that calls you every other day for two hours talking about the same problems give this book to them okay sharing is caring so please make sure you do that in the interim until next week i want you to enjoy the balance of your day but do it boldly